Theology. Theology. Unplugged. This is a special episode of Theology Unplugged. This is a recent sermon that Clint Roberts did on distorted justice. We hope you enjoy it. Distorted. Justice distorted. Let me show you a verse that's artistically um, displayed before you by myself. No, you know better than that. Somebody else did this work. Uh, But located on the internet and cut and pasted lovingly onto this slide by me. Here is the verse for the day. Proverbs 28, verse 6. It says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. So a sort of usual pattern in the book where of, a, of a parallel two statements. In this case, you have that sort of antithetical parallel. This, but that. Not this, but that. So some do not, but those who seek Yahweh do. There's something about all people, something peculiar about all people, and that is that wherever you go, whenever and whoever they are, when you encounter people, you will always find that people always tend to see themselves on the morally right side of things. People want to see themselves on the morally right side of things, don't they? People want that. And so they seek to make it so, so that in one way or another, no matter what, people will always find some way or another to put their cause, their point of view, into the position of sort of being in the moral right category. That's just what we do. Think of any movement, actually, uh, any group of people, any trend in society that you might deem bad or questionable or terrible even. And think about the question, do those people themselves see their cause and their movement as wrong? Do they see it as wrong? Is that what they go around saying? Do they go around promoting it as something wrong, something bad? Hey, join this. It's really terrible. Um, you know, listen to us and believe us as we speak what our cause is here because, you know, we're really bad. We want bad things. Nobody says that. People always cast themselves in the morally good position. So the, the principle here is that people... Depraved man never abandons the notion of moral correctness. He never abandons it. He distorts it. That's the difference. Big difference. He doesn't jettison the idea of being morally right as if that doesn't matter. He doesn't care. He tweaks it. Sort of contorts it so that he is in the moral right. One way or another. That is to say, we are not amoral creatures, we are immoral creatures. The difference in those is, uh, to be amoral, a sort of like, you know, those Greek words that negate something, so to be amoral means you are without any kind of moral sense. You have no, I don't mean you are without good morals, I mean you're without the, the very capacity to understand things in moral terms. So, you are not an amoral creature. There are, the, the earth is filled with amoral creatures. The wasp that stings you is an amoral creature. There is no malice in the wasp. He was not being vindictive 
or mean. The tornado that, I mean, God forbid, but the tornado that might knock your structure down. Uh, it did not fly into a rage. <laughs> tornado is just a thing. It's an amoral event. It's wind. A neighbor's dog that always comes over and relieves itself on your lawn. That's not vandalism. He's not trying to intimidate you. That is not a hate crime. It's just a dog. A dog is an amoral creature. It does not have the faculties to see the world in moral terms. You do. So does every human being. That's the difference. That's what we're like. So we'll say a bit more about why that is in a second. But since this verse is about justice, and we're talking about the concept of justice, which is a hot topic today, we should ask the question of what it is. What is what does it mean? Justice is a common word. It's a, it's a favored word. It's a beloved word. It's a word, again, everyone wants justice in their camp. Everyone wants to say, I'm on the side of justice. I'm for justice. So, here the proverb uses the word. But what does it mean? I want to show you a little bit about what justice is. And, and it's a lot simpler than, than we might think. We don't, sometimes we overthink things. But justice is really basically... Righteousness. And righteousness is just rightness, as the word might indicate. And even though we're coming out of Proverbs, so it's in Hebrew, I'll go ahead and show you a Greek word. It's been a while. It's been a while. We've been in Proverbs all summer, so I haven't been able to show you a lot of Greek words. But I have a Greek word to show you. I'm not asking you to pronounce it, use it in a sentence, or start peppering it into your everyday conversation. However, it's worth us, it's worth it that we kind of that we know it. So Feast your eyes on, on those strange markings. The word dikaiosune. It's a noun. So the, the adjective is dikaios. To be righteous. To be just. It's really fairly simple. So you have a standard. You have, you have the truth. You have the true standard. What is truly right. Perfect even. And to the degree that you line up with it. You know like, your, like the margins of a. Paper might be justified on the right side. Straight up and down. If you are straight with the standard, if you line up with it, you are just. You have been justified. Maybe you were out of whack, but then you were put right. This is crucial to our theology because we sit here today as people who have been justified. Do we not? By nature, we're not righteous. We, are not, we don't line up correctly. We miss the mark. But we have been justified. We've been made right. So it is as if we are perfect. We are not. But theologically, God, God's accomplishment is to make us as though, to declare us as though we were righteous. So this is what justice, in its, in its simple essence, this is what it means, biblically. So what then is the proverb saying, if it's talking like this, when it says men do not understand justice, that's what most of the English translations Say the NIV actually says, do not understand what is right. And there are a couple that say, do not understand judgment. But essentially it is it is rightness or righteousness or justice. And when you see it, by the way, in the New Testament, if you see the word righteous and you see the word just, same word, same Greek word. If you see righteousness or you see justice or justified or justification or even judgment in some cases, all coming from one word. 
All coming from one word. So it applies personally to people, individually, and it applies in a group setting. So personal righteousness, personal, if you will, justice, being justified personally, as I said, means that you are put in a right standing according to the moral law. You're now in line. As if you know, you're righteous. You are you're put right. And then in other areas, you have justice in the sense that it's a sort of a just or fair or right treatment of people. So why the courts are supposed to practice justice. Treat everyone correctly, fairly, without partiality and so on. Well, to really get a handle on this, though, what he's saying here, and I think how it very importantly applies to the culture today, we ought to understand it. To do it, we've got to do a little bit of background theology. So, I got a little basic theology to show you. So not, not just what comes from this verse, but sort of a larger biblical view. So I'll just show you three things here, three basic theological principles. I'll say a few things about each one. The Bible teaches these things. We've got to keep these things straight. These are so important to understanding uh, everything else we encounter in the world and how to correctly understand the events that go on around us as we interact with the world around us. So one thing is that human beings bear the image of God. All human beings bear the image of God. And so, because of that, we are, by our nature, morally oriented creatures. Remember, the wasp, right, and the dog, we're not morally oriented. They don't have that moral intuition. They don't have that basic sense. But we do, and in fact, it permeates all of our thinking. There is not a day goes by, there's hardly an hour that can pass by, that you do not think about things in moral terms. You're always doing it. You're always assessing the world around you and judging all the thoughts and intents and words and acts of people on moral grounds. And you might say, well, I'm not judgmental. The heck you say. You are judgmental. You can't help it. You can't not think this way. No, that doesn't mean you run around blabbing. That doesn't mean you run around pointing fingers and saying to people how bad and wrong they are. But inside... Of course you're judgmental. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with that. All, that. all I'm saying when I say that is you are at every moment assessing and ranking and grading the world around you in moral terms. That's, that's bad. That's wrong. That's good. Or I'm not sure about that one. You do it all the time. Why do we do it all the time? Because this is, this is who we are by nature. We reflect the image of God. All right? Whereas... The birds of the air and the fish of the sea, they're marvelous created things, but they do not bear the image of God. They do not have the stamp, the imago dei in the Latin. They don't have it. They're, they're all pretty cool in their own way. They're, they're fantastic. But they don't have the image of God. You do. All human beings bear this image. And that's why we're the way we are. That's why, that's why we think of the world in moral terms. But here's another thing. Because of our fallen nature, because that's another part of our nature, not an original part, not, not, not part of our nature by design, but it entered into our nature. We became this way. But because of sin, this moral sense we have, our moral thinking, moral judgments, they're imperfect. They can be quite distorted. They can be very off the mark. Doesn't mean that we're wildly wrong about everything completely. No, no, no. 
But we're wrong enough. We're wrong enough, enough of the time, that on our own we get a lot of stuff wrong and mess up our lives and mess up the world if left to our own devices. So we're not utterly, completely wrong. It doesn't distort all of our perspective completely. But it distorts enough of it. And so then, the third one is that this innate desire we have. So it makes us think, I want to be. We're haunted by the idea that we should be good. And there's this moral standard. And we sense it. And then we know that we fail. So we're trying forever to justify ourselves, to be on the right side of it, to get ourselves in the right place. We want to be, quote, on the right side of history, as they like to say. We want this kind of justice. We want this kind of righteousness. And often our attempts to do it, frankly, just lead us into foolishness. So you see how that works. Because sometimes people could be confused. Our own theology might confuse us. We could say, wait a minute. All people, you're saying, have this moral awareness, this conscience that we have. And yet, and yet, at the same time, sin messes it up so that we, quote, do not understand justice, as it said. What gives? How do both of those work together? And this is how it is. Our moral sense is confused largely by us. Now, I'm not making all this up. Romans 2 spells this out pretty clearly when Paul talks about the conscience of man being, quote, the law written on the heart. And he says this law written on the heart convicts us just like the written law does. It convicts us of our sin just like the written law does. So that though we should know better we find ourselves playing games with our own minds. We suppress the truth. So we suppress the truth. Hello, I shall use this microphone. Or no microphone. I shall yell! Oh, sorry about that, John. I should have warned you. No, I don't know about you. I do, I do think I know about you. But I think the Word knows about you. It knows about me. Just think about it. Don't we do this? Don't you find every clever way to make whatever you decide and whatever you do somehow justified, somehow justifiable? Aren't we just justification machines always finding a way that whatever it is, I well, I mean, see, that, that, by the way, is just another sign that we have this built into us. Because if you didn't care so much, if you didn't have this deep sense of what is morally right and that you were not in the right place, you wouldn't spend so much time trying to justify your actions in, in some grand courtroom. The courtroom of reality. I mean, you, 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 in a sense, are always on trial. and You sense it. And this is why we're always making the excuses. And so we all know it. C.S. Lewis said once, there are two things that every single person knows without fail. One, that there is a moral law. And two, that he or she has failed to live up to it. Everyone knows this. And the result of it is that we're trying at all times to justify our acts, to place ourselves in the position of justice, in the position of righteousness. We want to somehow finagle it so that in the end, whew, I'm on the right side of it. My behavior has been justified. So now... How then does the one who seeks Yahweh truly understand justice or righteousness? How does that work? Why is that the case? Somebody remind me again, from right from the beginning of the book of Proverbs. What is the beginning of knowledge again? The fear of the Lord. The 
fear of Yahweh is where true knowledge begins. And so it shouldn't surprise us that he says this, should it? That the one who seeks him can have an understanding of what justice really is and rightness. But someone who doesn't care can't know that. Now, does this mean, and am I saying, that someone who does not believe or does not seek or does not follow the Lord, am I saying that that person is completely unable to grasp moral truths and completely unable to do any moral good? Am I saying that? This is really important to to get straight because if you haven't found yourself in this discussion, well, I don't know what's wrong. You should have. You will. That is a misunderstanding that people have. The misunderstanding goes like this. Christians believe, or maybe the Bible teaches, that only those who truly believe in God and you know, only those with real Christian beliefs can do anything morally good. And the rest of us, if we don't have those beliefs and we aren't good, solid, church-going Christians, we, we, can't, we can't even make morally good decisions at all. That is not what we say. That is not biblical teaching. No, people, I fully expect people, I don't care what their professed beliefs I mean the most raging, virulent atheist you can find. I fully expect that person to have the same basic moral awareness. Because guess what that atheist has? The image of his creator. He doesn't step outside of that. So so every time that atheist gets something right, understands that it's wrong to oppress, but it's you should not be a lying, filthy, backstabbing creep. You should not take advantage of your position of power over people. You should. Every time that person is aware of those things, I simply say, of course. It's the basic understanding. The law is written on that person's heart, just the same as everyone else. So I expect it. So we do not say that, oh, they can do no good at all. Absolutely not. We've established that all already. They have moral awareness. And they will act in good ways from time to time. I mean, everyone's going to... Whatever their batting average is, I don't know, but they're going to have that moral awareness and they're going to also know that they don't live up to it perfectly. Because nobody does. And in telling them, by the way, that they don't live up to it perfectly, in saying that they are sinners, we are also... I said, there's another misconception you may have to obliterate, which is, you Christians think we're all sinners and you're not. <clears throat> wrong again. We do not teach that. The Bible does does not teach that. We are all, every one of us, on equal footing in this regard. So we've got to make sure this is understood. But here is the problem. So you say, well, well, what's the big deal? What, What difference does it make then? Why does Proverbs say those who seek the Lord understand these things and those who do not, calling them evil and saying they don't get it, they don't understand justice? Here's the issue. Whatever your beliefs, you have to ask yourself, what is their foundation? You see, if you don't seek God, if, you have, if God is not part of the ultimate starting point for you, if He's not part of the foundation of all of your beliefs, frankly, what does the word good even mean? I mean, how do I even define what good is? Who, who made this definition up? Why should I believe it? Because... In, in that sense, 
I'm, I'm groping for some objective uh, foundation for my definition of good. I don't know what good even means. Because we believe that, that good is a transcendent thing, rooted in the nature and character and person of God Himself. Take God out of the picture, where'd we come up with this screwball idea of what's morally good in the first place? Where'd we come up with that? I mean, we're still going to have these basic moral intuitions. It won't change what we're like, but we just won't know why we're this way. Well, I, we all share these basic moral intuitions, but where did they come from? Why do we have them? And we all seem to, quote, know that some things are morally good and some things are morally wrong, but we don't know why we know those things. Why do we know those things? So we end up we end up with some kind of morality that we want to preach because we will because I said everyone wants to be a moral crusader. We just don't know what what the foundation of it is. We have a rootless morality. So the Russian uh, great Russian novelist Tolstoy said it like this. He said the attempts to found a morality apart from the traditional religious beliefs, which is what he witnessed in his time. The attempts to found a morality apart from those beliefs is like the attempts of children who, wishing to transplant a flower that pleases them, pluck it from the roots that seem to them unpleasant and superfluous and stick it rootless into the ground. Without the roots, you will have no real flower. You see the picture there? I would say to you that our culture today is entirely engaged in the process of taking the stuff they like from our, from, from our civilization and, the, and a rich history of, frankly, biblically grounded values and ideas and taking some of the ones they like, such as human rights, fundamental human rights and basic justice and all those, they want to pluck them up from the root structure and stick them in the shallow, sandy soil of some kind of secularism. I didn't even mean to alliterate that, but I just did. The shallow, sandy soil of secularism. Let me write that down. I'll use that later. You see? That's what they're doing. It doesn't work. It, it, it has no roots to it. It has no, it has no structure to it. This, this is the game that we're playing now constantly. It's not going to work. I think that's basically our, one of our problems right now. It's happening everywhere. Because if you take God out of the picture, and we're just operating on some ethereal, secular sort of thing, we end up with no possible way, no possible way to do this. Let me read to you another quote that's from a very honest thinker. And I appreciate his honesty. I read this years ago. So this, is, this, is, this man is a philosopher. He's an atheist. And he really loves all, he, he, he's really into evolutionary studies and what they imply, the implications. So he, he philosophizes on the basic idea of an atheistic universe. Listen to what he says, very honest of him, about morality. He said, the position of the modern atheist and evolutionist is this, that humans have an awareness of morality only because such an awareness is of biological worth. Morality is a biological adaptation, no less than our hands and feet and teeth. Now, considered as a rationally justifiable set of claims about an objective something, 
ethics is just an illusion. Now I appreciate that when someone says, love thy neighbor as thyself, they think that they are referring above and beyond themselves. Nevertheless, such reference is truly without foundation because morality is just an aid to survival and reproduction. Any deeper meaning is illusory. My friends, morality doesn't exist. All that's going on here, if you do not seek Yahweh, if, if Yahweh is not your, at the center of it, if there is no God, the person of God, the character of God, the creator, take it all out of the picture. And what do I have? I got these funny looking two-legged things walking all over this planet who evolved in this weird way to make certain sounds that are understandable to each other. And some of those sounds say things that sound like morality, like you shouldn't do this and you should do that and thou shalt and thou shalt not and this is right and this is wrong. Because we're just, we're just the kind of monkeys that make those noises. That's all there is to it. So you see, that's part of the problem and why the writer says that you cannot understand what justice is. Justice can have no meaning. Philip Yancey says, when human beings take upon themselves the Luciferian chore of redefining morality, untethered to any transcendent source, all hell breaks loose. The Nazi propagandists dismissed biblical revelation as Jewish swindle, and they emphasized instead the general revelation they observed in the natural order. Lenin ordered the Russians to adopt the revolutionary conscience as opposed to their natural conscience. Our century is the first in which societies have attempted to form their moral codes without any reference to God. We have had the chance to take the world in our own hands, and the results are in perhaps 100 million deaths or more attributable to this grand new reign of justice. Today the bats are out of the cage. The spiritual sources that fed these movements are still with us. Increasingly, the schizophrenia of personal morality is being projected into society at large. Sounds kind of grim, but you know, I heard one guy put it this way. You know, one of the Reformation cries was a Latin phrase. It said, it said, post tenebrae lux, which means after darkness, light. And he said, I'm afraid what we might be looking at now in our culture is post lucum tenebrae. After light, darkness. Because we have had plenty of light here. We've sort of chosen to throw it overboard. And, and it, it makes us have to ask the question. I think it's okay to ask people now just to make them think, why should I be good? The old Trappist monk, Thomas Merton, he said, in the name of whom or in the name of what do you ask me to behave? Why should I go to the inconvenience of denying myself the satisfactions I desire in the name of some standard that exists only in your imagination? Why should I worship the fictions that you have imposed on me in the name of nothing? Sounds pretty grim, but you see, we're, we're trying to extrapolate what the writer of Proverbs wisely knew all those generations ago, which is that you must begin with the fear of Yahweh. It is only those who are seeking God who understand this is the source. 
Why do we do the good that we, that we do? In a few weeks, we'll have um, Freedom Sunday again. And the church trying to be on the front lines to help people who are trafficked. Why do we do it? Make ourselves feel good. To virtue signal to everyone, look how good we are. No, no. Our, our motive for these things runs very deep. We have eternal motives. We have divine motives for doing those things. And without this ultimate standard, I mean, how are we going to know whose justice is even the right one? Because I said, as I said, every point of view will justify itself. Whatever the movement is, it never says, we're bad, we're morally in the wrong. They always say that they're right. There was once a movement called the eugenics movement. You ever heard of this? Where scientifically enlightened and advanced people in Europe and America decided that we could make the gene pool better by practicing a brand new science, a noble art of selective breeding, more or less, so that the fit, the fittest ones, sort of you hear the evolutionary thinking in this, the fittest ones ought to have all the babies, and the less fit should be discouraged from it. Do you think, they ran, do you think the eugenics movement said, we are trying to manipulate variations in population growth based on these racist ideas, because we're a bunch of elitists. That's not what they said. That's not how, that wasn't their pitch. Instead, they said something like, we're helping the human race. We're advancing society to improve the world. Doesn't that sound positive? You see how you put a spin on it that puts... They thought they, they were sure they were in the morally right place. They, they were standing on the moral high ground, they thought. Well, a little closer to our time, I was reading about this thing the other day known as Drag Queen Storytime. You ever heard of this? <laughs> Hold, buckle up, kids. So there's a movement um, in various cities, and the movement is the public libraries bring in a drag queen. You familiar? This is a man dressed up in this extravagant way like a woman and reads to children. Does this sound like a, a super hot idea to anybody? Very controversial. Um, there's been conflict. So that's, you know, it's, I mean, can you well imagine this might be controversial? So do you think the advocates who are putting these on, do you think they say this? Well, you know, our goal, we just want to sexualize kids by exposing them to men dressed in these perverse ways in order, in order to normalize it. Is that what their pitch is? That's not what they're saying. I read what they, I've heard, I read it. They said, we're doing this because this will teach kids Tolerance and acceptance of all people, people different from them, no matter what, they might dress different. And it teaches kids also the value of being yourself. Doesn't that sound positive to you? The people who are putting on the story time fully believe they are on the right side of history, that they are in the morally correct camp. And if you listen closely, you should notice you will hear this all the time. So recently there was this actor who tweeted something and got in big trouble. What he tweeted was there was a story about a three-year-old who the three-year-old child believed that it was a boy and he said, I'm a girl. The parents of the three-year-old said, let's go ahead and have surgery on the three-year-old. Because and, and some and this actor reading about this said, you know, 
Gosh, I don't know. I think three year old, I think three years is a little young to make that kind of decision, don't you think? Well, big mistake. Because there was a big outcry from a vicious mob of people coming after that actor who said that. How dare you? You are phobic. How dare you? And that actor, of course, you know how this ends, don't you? Had to go out and apologize deeply from the bottom of his heart for the hateful comments and the harm he caused because, you know, he might like to work again someday. So, that mob that bullied that guy into doing that, you think they believe that they're all evil and wicked and in the wrong? Of course they don't. They believed that they were moral crusaders and they saw an injustice. And they had to go out and make, and they had to right that wrong. They believed that they were on the right side of that. You see how this works? We should be well acquainted with this. Or there, there was, you, think that, you think that only Christians are pious moralizers and preach into the public square? Oh, by no means. There is a lot of moralizing and preaching all around you. Moral crusaders are everywhere. We've seen it for years. The church has been involved for years in the abortion issue. Did I tell you I might get controversial today? I'm just pointing these out in case you haven't seen, noticed it. Those who advocate strongly on the side of abortion, how many of them take their bullhorn in hand and say, we are here, we are advocating, we want babies to be killed. That's not what they say. They say this is a moral crusade for compassion, for rights. Do those things sound good? The French Revolution had its motto, liberty, equality, reason, good things. And in the name of those good things, you know what they did, don't you, in the name of those good principles? They lopped the heads off of scores of their fellow citizens. They didn't run around saying, we're bloodthirsty, crazy, insane people killing off our citizens because we're nuts. They didn't say that. They said, we are fighting for a high moral cause. So, on what basis can we judge these things? If on every side, everyone's claiming high ground, how will I know? If I have no objective measure for these things, this is why a rootless morality is not possible. Those who seek Yahweh understand the basis of justice and the source of righteousness so we can make sense of it. We can account for it. It makes a huge difference. It doesn't mean that suddenly we're just naturally better than everybody. We understand justice. Our world today loves the word justice. They do not understand it. It's a buzzword. And by the way, Justice now is used for all kinds of crazy things. Basically today, I don't know if you've noticed this, but put your antenna up, you'll start to see this. Today, anything that could be improved, by the way, there are lots of things that could be improved, aren't there? I mean, tons of things. We could do better. They could be, they could be made better. But today, anything that might be improved, that could stand to be improved, is now 
couched in the terms it's a justice issue. So for example, if there is a part of the country that that has worse soil for crop growing, and maybe they don't have quite as good a machinery for their industrial farming as another part, this will be called something like agricultural, this is agricultural injustice. Because you see, this is an inequality. They're not making as good of crops as they are over here. And so someone will, someone will then step out to fight for agricultural justice. I'm not kidding. This is kind of how this works now. Or, let's say that there's a part of town that has worse gas stations and, you know, like worse fast food joints. And there's another part of town that has a little bit nicer gas station. That might be, I don't know what you call it, franchise injustice? They got better franchises? I don't know. It's basically whatever it is that there's room for improvement. Uh, maybe We used to just say, hey, maybe someone will make it better. But now you see it has to be justice. You turn everything into it. Why do people do it? We have forsaken the true cause of justice that once guided the culture. And in its place, now that that throne is abdicated, now that, or not abdicated, we, we, we have thrown, we've thrown God out of the picture. And without those bearings, we still have the innate desire to fight for a moral cause. Just like we want to be religious, people have an innate religious desire. So they're still religious. And they have an innate desire to fight for the moral right. They don't know what it is anymore, and their nature has caused them to sinfully confuse it, so they just pick up any cause and start marching. This feels like a good cause to me. Who's with me? But it's, it's just it's the blind leading the blind. And so we, the church, have to still hold up the, the torch, the light, and say, this is leading us to foolishness and waywardness. We, as a part of everyday life, Seek the truth of God. Seek the mind and heart of God. And seek true justice so that we know how to correctly channel the natural in, inborn desire to do what is right. Individually, it leads us to fight the fight of sanctification. Corporately, it leads us to try to intervene. To help those who need our help. To support those things. To be a part of it. Because we're doing it for the highest ultimate cause. We do it for the kingdom of God. Because Jesus said, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Micah, he has shown you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God.